0: Amen, amen, good morning. Why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me, if you would please, to Luke chapter 18. Gospel of Luke chapter 18, as we continue on in our series this morning uh, called Counting the Cost. It was J.C. Ryle who said this, nothing I am sure has such a tendency to quench the fire of religion as the possession of money. Nothing, I am sure, has such a tendency to quench the fire of religion as the possession of money. It would seem, wouldn't it, that back in the 1800s, J.C. Ryle was on to something. In essence, he's saying that in his opinion, and going through this series together over the past few weeks, I would be inclined to wholeheartedly agree with him. He's saying, in his opinion, that money has the ability, unlike anything else that we come across within this life, to pull our hearts away from God. That the tendency of our hearts will be most often to drift toward the things that we have, toward the stuff that we have, rather than toward the God who gives us the stuff. And that the possession of money could, in fact, quench a holy fire that once burned bright for the glory of God within our life. Nothing, I am sure, has such a tendency To quench the fire of religion as the possession of money. That actually describes uh, very well the guy that we're about to meet in Luke chapter 18. So let's have our Bibles open there. Luke 18, follow along with me in your copy of God's word as I begin reading in verse 18 and down through to verse 30. This is the word of God. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich." Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, um, we just humble ourselves now before you one more time and and just ask, uh, plead with you. Father, would you please speak to us right now? Lord, with your word open in front of us, would you give us the grace, I pray, to examine our own hearts in this moment right now and just as we go through this passage, would you give us the grace just to check our own hearts before you right now to see if there's anything that's getting in the way of us, trusting completely and totally in you for who you are and for all that you've done for us in Christ and for all that you still desire to do for us, not only in this life, but all that you have done for us to secure the life that is still to come for us. So Lord, we turn to you and we pray by the power of your spirit, in the truth of your word, that you would speak to us now, that you would sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. And so we give this time to you now, asking you to be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jesus here in this passage, he's uh, talking to the Pharisees, he's teaching the crowds, and there's some guy that is standing in the crowd there, and he comes toward Jesus and he says, good teacher, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we need to understand right from the outset that that is what this passage is about. It's about eternal life. It's referred to seven times here in a number of different ways. You can see it working through this passage. It's referred to as eternal life, it's referred to as heaven, it's referred to as the kingdom of God, as salvation. And this section begins here with this question about how to get eternal life. And the section ends then with Jesus reassuring us of what is to come within eternal life. This section here is about how we get eternal life with God. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're like, wait a minute, I thought we were in this series on money and possessions, so why are we in a passage that talks about how to get eternal life? Well, we're here this morning because as Jesus looks into the heart of this young guy, he sees so clearly the one primary thing that, as J.C. Ryle says, is quenching the fire of religion within his life. It's his money. We need to see that that's the kind of power that money can have over us. And I wonder, as we make our way through this passage this morning, if there's any of us here right now who can find ourselves in a similar situation. I wonder if there's any of us here right now who could drop ourselves into the wisdom of that quote from J.C. Ryle, that that maybe even as we sit here right now with the word of God open in front of us, we, we find on some level that the fire in our relationship with God has been quenched because we've become too dependent on a comfortable life. That the fire has been quenched because maybe we're depending more on our own safety and security. Maybe we're depending more on our own comfort or our own ingenuity to get us through the circumstances of life and then come out on the other side with a little bit more. That maybe the fire has been quenched in our relationship with God because we're at a place and maybe we've been at a place for a while where we're finding more joy and more delight and more happiness in the things that we find in the world than we find in the very basics of the Christian life like Bible reading and prayer and worship. And so Jesus now calls this guy to come and follow him. Jesus is calling this guy to entry-level discipleship. There may be some of you sitting here after reading this passage and you're thinking to yourself, hang on, man. Jesus tells this guy to sell everything that he has and give to the poor and come follow Jesus. Are you kidding me? That's radical discipleship. No, it's not. It's not radical discipleship. The only reason that we think it's so radical is because we have become accustomed to a life that is built so much around safety and security and comfort that whenever we look at a passage like this to hear what Jesus has to say, we think that's radical. See, the point that's being made here, and and this is the main point that I want you to see coming from this passage today. Jesus wants us to totally trust in him for eternal life. Jesus wants you to totally trust in him for eternal life. So we read this, and, and you gotta understand that this is not just about selling everything that you have, giving to the poor. This right now is, is not for this guy in Luke 18. It wasn't just about him giving away everything, giving it to the poor. This was an opportunity for him to check his heart before God. And this is an opportunity right now here for us about examining our hearts right here, right now, in humility before the Lord Jesus Christ and asking him, is there anything in my heart right now that is quenching the fire of my love for you? If you're willing to ask that question of the Lord right now as we get into this passage, then um, I gotta say you're in a really good spot to hear what Jesus has to teach us today. So I want you to see this from this passage, four ways to know that I'm totally trusting Jesus for eternal life. Four ways that I know I'm totally trusting Jesus for eternal life. Here's the first. Number one, I know I'm trusting Jesus totally for eternal life when I am relying no longer on what I can do. I'm relying no longer on what I can do. So story begins here. Um, This guy comes to Jesus and this guy's a ruler. And, and we don't know exactly what he rules over, but it seems that we can say, based on what we learn in this section, that he's a guy whose moral life is exemplary. Okay, He's a good person. He does good things. He's very well connected in a lot of circles. He's connected socially and spiritually and and financially and politically and relationally. He's connected in so many different ways across his life. He is a good person. And that goodness that he thinks he has is starting to leak out now in the way that he's talking to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice he begins by calling Jesus good teacher. Good uh, was a term used in that day to describe only God and nobody else. And so when, when this guy says to Jesus, good teacher, Jesus picks up on that obviously and he questions him back and he says, wait a second, why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. It's almost like Jesus is saying to him in that moment, just, just think for a minute about why you're calling me good. Like are you calling me good right now because you think I'm a good teacher? Are you calling me good right now because you think I'm a teacher who does good things? Are you calling me good teacher because on some level, you're not totally sure if I'm God, and if I'm God, then that's totally going to rock your life, and it's going to change you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine right now. Like, why are you calling me good teacher? And what Jesus is doing here is right away, he's getting right to the heart of this guy. And he's getting right to our hearts right away. See, for this guy in Luke 18, this is not just about this guy's obedience to God, and it's not just about his money and possessions. This is first and foremost an issue of the heart for him. And this is first and foremost an issue of the heart for us as well. And so we need to be asking ourselves the question, even right now, who do you say that Jesus really is? Who is Jesus? Because we read this passage, we read this story and this guy respected Jesus enough to call him good but not enough to call him God. See, so much of how we see life and even so much, I would say, of how we spend life will be determined by how we see Jesus. If all we see in Jesus is a good teacher, then when it comes to his actual teaching, we're gonna feel some kind of freedom to take some of what he says but to leave some of what he says too. And I worry that, Part of the reason that we still struggle so much with the idols of of power and sex and safety and security and comfort, I, I worry that part of the reason we still struggle so much across Christianity with the idolatry of money and possessions is because when it comes to those money and possessions, we only see Jesus as little more than a good teacher. That we look at him and and sure, he's got some, some good things to say about money and possessions. He's got some interesting things to say about giving and tithing. He's even got some radical things to say about the way that I should live the rest of my life, but really give everything to Jesus? Like, isn't that just for those fanatical types who are like all in, crazy about it, and they just go wherever Jesus tells them to go? Like, isn't that what that's about? We've said this before. You cannot have Jesus as your savior without also having him as your Lord. You cannot have Jesus as the savior of your soul without also having him as the Lord of your life. It just doesn't work that way because when you read the Bible and when you read the gospels and when you read the calls of Jesus over and over and over again, it's consistently the same thing. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. When? Daily. Like This is not just a, a I'll do it when I kind of feel like it sort of thing, when I get around to it, maybe I'll, I'll do it then. No, it's not that. It's deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. This is about dying to ourselves so that we can totally live in Christ. If all you see when you look at Jesus is good, but not God... And your relationship with him is always gonna be about what you can do. And that's what this guy's struggling with here in Luke 18. This, this rich young ruler says, notice the question that he asks Jesus. He says, what must I do? See that? What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's like he's coming to Jesus right now and he's saying to him, okay, Jesus, just give me a list of stuff to do. Just give me some boxes to check and, and I'll be good. And in a kind of strange sort of twist in the story, Jesus actually gives him a list. Like look at verse 20. He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents. All commandments that deal with love for the people around you. And verse 21, the guy looks back to Jesus and he says, Jesus, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, now just pause here for a second, okay? And one of the ways that, that we learn um, a little bit more from stories like this, from narratives in the Bible like this, is to try our very best to put ourselves into the story. So try and insert yourself into this story and, and feel the emotion that's going on here. Try and put yourself in this crowd that's standing around as they're listening into this conversation between Jesus and this rich man. And, and you're eavesdropping on this conversation. You hear it all going on. And, and this guy says to Jesus, All these I have kept from my youth. Because you're standing there, can you you just feel the weight of the burden lift off of this guy? As he says this, can, can you hear the sigh of relief that he breathes and the sense of pride in what he has just said? He's like, whoa, good thing, Jesus, I have kept all of these from my youth. Now here's the thing, all of those things that Jesus just said, they're all good things. Obviously, they're commandments that have come directly from God. But this guy's life was being defined by his own ability to be a good person. His life was being owned by a religious checklist. And loved ones, that's what your life will become if all you see in Jesus is someone who is good, but not the one who is God. Like your life is just going to be, if I can just be a better mom, then I'll be good, right? If I can just be a better dad, then I'll be good, right? If I can just get my parents' approval, then I'll be good, right? If I can just be a better person, then I'll be good, right? If I can just beat that sin in my life, then I'll be good, right? If I can just get that approval at work and that recognition that I want so much, then I'll be good, right? And when, when your life with God becomes little more than a religious checklist, then your relationship with God will be about little more than just trying harder and doing better which, by the way, stands in total contrast to everything that Jesus has just been teaching about in the section right before this. So look back in your Bible to verse 14. Same chapter, back to verse 14, just a few verses before. Jesus says in verse 14, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what checking boxes on a list is? It's exalting yourself. You know what legalism is? It's exalting yourself. You know what just trying to be a good person to get favor with God is? It's exalting yourself. Because it's always and it's only about you. It's always and only about what you can do. Look then at verses 15 to 17, section right before this one that we're in right now. The point that Jesus makes just in those few verses there, he says, you receive the kingdom like a little child. Remember those days, um, maybe you can think back far enough, when your kids were in a high chair at the table for meals? Remember that? Like, like some of you are there right now, bless your exhausted little hearts. Like, and, and your kids are sitting there, they're sitting there in the high chair at the table and, and they're totally dependent on you putting the food onto their tray so that they can eat. And maybe they're even young enough that they're totally dependent on you putting the food into their mouth so that they can eat. And the whole point that Jesus is making here is that the kingdom of God is for those who are like little children. The kingdom of God is for those who realize that they are totally dependent on God to put the kingdom in them. In other words, you can't do it yourself. It's not about what you can do. Listen to Romans 3.20 up on the screen for you. The Apostle Paul says this. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. Now now that's what's going on here with the rich young ruler in Luke 18, right? He's trying to do all these good things. He's trying to keep all the commandments as a way of getting favor with God and being justified before him. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Our goodness is not defined by the good things that we can do. Our goodness is defined by the goodness of another who has given us the gift of repentance and faith through Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you, he wants us to totally trust in him for eternal life, not to trust in the things that you can do, not to believe that you're a good enough person, not to buy your way into the kingdom of God. Jesus wants you to totally trust in him for eternal life, which quite frankly makes the next thing that Jesus says so shocking. Notice this, number two, I know I'm trusting Jesus totally for eternal life when I'm removing all the barriers that prevent me from trusting him. Verse 22 says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, I'll just stop there for a second. When Mark writes about this in his gospel, um, Mark says it like this, and I want you to see this because this is so important. Um, Mark 10, verse 21, up on the screen. We'll put that main point back up in just a minute, but Mark 10, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Like, see that. That's what's what's happening right now in this passage. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So notice the significance of this right here. The reason that Jesus says the hard thing to this guy is because he loves him. Jesus loves him enough to pull him off the ledge of the one thing that Jesus knew would destroy him for eternity. And can I remind you that Jesus is doing the same thing for us as we go through this series and and as we go through this passage even right now. Like Some of you are here right now and you are so consumed by the things of the world. You are so consumed by what you possess You are so consumed by what you do not possess, but wish you did possess. You are so consumed by the reputation that you think your possessions are gonna give you or what your possessions could do for you. And in that, because he loves you, Because he loves us, Jesus is extending the offer to all of us again to turn away from putting our hope and putting our security and finding our fulfillment in the things of the world and instead to turn to him so that we find all that we need in him alone. Like that's what he's saying here in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus isn't just giving some random command to sell everything the guy has and give to the poor. This isn't just some disconnected command from everything else. Since this guy seemed to have all the other commandments in place and now Jesus is just kind of up in the ante a little bit to see how far he can go. That's That's not what's happening here. Instead, Jesus is exposing this guy's allegiance to his money and possessions. Jesus is pulling the veil off the one thing in this guy's life that is getting in the way of him totally trusting in Jesus for eternal life. And now Jesus comes to him. Why? Because he loves him. Comes to him because he loves him and he says, hey listen, I want you to take that one thing in your life that's getting in the way of you trusting in me. I want you to take that one thing that's holding you back from totally trusting in me for everything that you need. And I want you to take decisive and immediate and necessary action to get that one thing out of the way so that you can come and follow me. Like Jesus even tells him in verse 22 why he wants him to do this. He says, so that you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. See, what's happening here is that this guy is about to find out the location of his true treasure. It's either going to be in his back pocket or it's going to be in Jesus, but it's not going to be in both. Why? Because you can't serve God and money. Verse 23 sums it all up. But when he heard these things, when this guy heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Notice here that he appears to be so sad that he doesn't even say anything in response like the excitement and the exuberance of only a few verses before. Remember when he says, Jesus, I've kept all these commandments. Jesus, I've done all this, so I'm good, right? Like all the excitement and exuberance of just a couple of verses before, that's gone. It's not even there anymore. He doesn't even, he doesn't appear to say anything back to Jesus. Have you ever wondered why this guy becomes so sad so fast? I mean, outside of the reality that obviously he has a lot of money, And and Jesus is telling him to do something with that money. But have you ever wondered why he becomes so sad so fast? Think about it. He's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. This guy has his life in front of him. There's a good chance that this guy hasn't even hit his prime yet. And now Jesus is coming to him and saying to him, I want you to take everything that you have and sell it and give to the poor so that you can follow me. I want you to take the one thing in your life that's getting in the way of you totally trusting in me for everything that you need, and I want you to get that one thing out of the way so that you can trust in me, because I want you to see that in following me, I have everything that you need for life. Like, you can't follow Jesus and money. You can't follow Jesus and yourself. You can't follow Jesus and chase possessions. You can't follow Jesus and trust in whatever it is that you're trying to trust in to get you some kind of favor with God. It doesn't work that way. Jesus calls us to totally trust in him. Which when you think about it, it raises a really important question for us. How do you know that money has become more than just money for you? How do you know if money has become the one thing or maybe one of a few things within your life that are getting in the way of you totally trusting in Jesus? Here's a a quick list of ways that you can know. I've shared this list with you before, but it's been a while and it's definitely worth coming back to. It's adapted a little bit from Tim Keller. Um, Let's start here. How do you know that money has become more than just money for you? First of all, um, it irritates you when you come to church and we talk about money. So um, if, if, you're in, if you're sitting in that seat right now, um, this list and this series really is not doing a whole lot of favors for you, but you're here, and that's good, and you're, you're hearing the word of God, and, and the thing is, if, if you're sitting in that seat right now, like part of you, uh, you're thinking maybe, wait a second, this is my money. Like, this is my hard-earned money. I've worked hard for this. This is my paycheck, and and sure, you'll give some of it, but but the whole idea of giving 10% and the whole idea of testing God with your finances to see if God will not bless you and take care of every need that you have, maybe that doesn't sit very well with you. Because you think that you have this good system in place where you can take care of yourself. And so you're sitting here and you're thinking, come on, man, Like, don't you know that when we come to church there are certain things that we just don't talk about and like, money is at the top of that list? And might I add that uh, Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about things like prayer and faith combined. And so it gets you a little worked up when when you come to church and we talk about money, that's one way that you know that money has become more than just money for you. Here's a second way. You cannot give away large amounts of it with joy. You know, maybe you write the check and the only thing that you can think of as you're writing the check is the return that you're gonna get on your investment. And, and hear me, um, it's not a bad thing, but when it's the only thing, And even when it's the the driving thing for why you're doing the thing in the first place, that's a problem. Like maybe you can't write the check without worrying about how the people who are gonna get the money on the other end are going to use it or maybe even abuse it because you realize you have no control when that's gonna happen. And, And you get so wired up, you get so caught up in what's gonna happen on the other end with your money that eventually you just stop giving any at all. How do I know that? Money has become more than just money. How about this? Um, You get scared at the prospect of having less than you have right now. And maybe you're in a spot in your life where where you see the blessing that God has given to you, that God has poured out on your life and and you are genuinely thankful for what God has given to you and provided for you and, and you recognize all of that. But maybe you often find yourself thinking over and over, what if we lose it? Like what if it's gone tomorrow and we can't get it back? Then what are we going to do? How are we going to maintain the lifestyle that we have? And there's this real source of fear within your heart at having less than you have right now. Here's another way that we know that money has become more than just money. You're jealous when people who have not worked as hard as you have have more than you do. Pretty quiet in here. (laughs) That one kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Here's one more way. It's not about what you can give away. It's about what you must give away. And for whatever reason, there's a sense of obligation that you have to do this. And it's not so much about joyful generosity for you as it is about a cautious contribution. All of these signs that money has become more than just money to us. And and Jesus looks now at this rich young ruler and perhaps sees at least a little bit of this in this guy. And so when Jesus tells him to sell everything that he has and give to the poor, it's not just a random command to radical behavior. Like we read this and the question that we need to be asking in response is not just, am I willing to sell my stuff? Or even, am I willing to sell even just some of my stuff and give to the poor? The question is, do I believe that Jesus is the Lord of my stuff? Like, do I believe that Jesus is not only the Savior of my soul, that he has rescued me from the righteous wrath of God and delivered me from an eternity in hell, but do I also believe that Jesus is the Lord of my life? Like, do I honestly and truly believe that the greatest treasure of my life will not be found within this life, but it's waiting for me in eternity? Because if I do believe that, then I'll take whatever steps are necessary to take those things in my life that are preventing me from totally trusting in Jesus, and I'll get those things out of the way. Adrian Rogers summed it up like this. He says, The story of the rich young rulers, like many people in our churches. They have religion but lack relationship. They have head knowledge without heart change. There is a problem, a real problem, and that is that people attend church. They listen to sermons, they join churches, but they are never radically, dramatically, eternally changed. They have religion, but they've never met God. Many churches today are filled with baptized pagans. They've been vaccinated. Listen, they've been vaccinated with a mild form of Christianity and they've never caught the real disease. And so the church may be full, but the people are often empty. They come, they go through the motions, they try to live outwardly a good life, but they have never really, truly found a new life. They have never been converted. Listen if Jesus were to show you right here and right now that money and possessions is the one thing that's preventing you from totally trusting in him for everything that you need, would you be willing with his help to make the radical and dramatic and necessary changes that he wants you to make to get those things out of the way so that you can follow him? Would you be willing to do that? Because if you're willing to make those changes, then that says a lot about where your heart is before the Lord right now. But if you're not willing to make those changes, that also says a lot about where your heart is before the Lord right now. And friend, if you are not willing to make those changes in order to follow Jesus, then your main issue right now is not your money and possessions. Your main issue right now is that you need to examine your heart to see if you're saved. Don't forget, the reason that Jesus throws out this lifeline and walks us away from the ledge of our greatest idols is because he loves us. Which leads us then right into number three. I know I'm trusting Jesus totally for eternal life when I'm reveling all the more in my salvation. Jesus sees how sad this guy is by the challenge that he's just put out in. And so Jesus says now, verse 24, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is far, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In the religious system of the day, wealth was often seen as a sign of God's favor, and of course, Jesus has been totally flipping the tables on all of that. And so, the illustration that Jesus uses here—it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle—it's um, hyperbole, it's exaggeration. It's meant to sound so unbelievable that it's obviously impossible. And so Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get to heaven. So at that point, the crowd looks back at him and says, well, wait a second, Jesus, then, then who then can be saved? Because right? remember, uh, riches and wealth were often seen as a sign of God's favor. So they're basically saying, if a rich person can't save themselves, then who can save themselves? And can you just see it in that moment? If you're standing there in the crowd, you're listening to this, can you just see Jesus, just the look on his face and he's looking at the crowd and he's like, exactly. Like, you get it. And so he says, verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Here's what He's saying, All the money that the rich guy had, he would never have enough to save himself. All the possessions that the rich guy had, he would never have enough to save himself. All the good works the rich guy was trying to do, he will never do enough good to save himself. It is impossible for a person to save themselves. But with God, well, God can do anything. What I what I'm hoping and praying is happening right now in this moment is that right across this room we are we are going to glory and delight and just revel all the more in the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Like I just want you to see the the amazing, awesome work that God has done for us to save us through the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen to this from the Bible, Isaiah 38, verse 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Think about this. We were rightfully headed to a pit that would destroy us for eternity. And were it not for the love of God coming to rescue us. That's where every single one of us would be. But his love is so perfect and so pure and so holy that he has taken all of our sins and he has put them into a place that he will never look again. They're behind his back. He's not gonna look there for them again. Isaiah 43, verse 25. God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Like, think about this. God is the one who does this. He takes all of our sins that were a total assault on his holy character and he pours out his wrath and justice for our sins upon Jesus, his son, who has no sin. And when we believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, he blots out all of our transgressions. And why does he do it? Notice in that verse, he does it for his own sake. He forgives us and makes us right with him so that he gets all the glory for the work that he has done. You haven't done anything to save yourself. God has done this work through his son, Jesus. One more, Ephesians 2, verses one to five. My favorite passage in the whole Bible. I can't talk about this without going here. Ephesians 2, the apostle Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the, this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Can I just say, are there two words in the English language that when put together are as awesome as that? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Like, if you are here right now and you are saved in Jesus Christ, then that means that there was a time in your life prior to this where you were dead in your sins. And dead means dead. There was nothing you could do in your deadness to make yourself come alive again. Something or someone outside of yourself needed to act upon you in order to take you from being dead and make you alive. And just like the Bible says right here, in his mercy, in his grace, in his love, God has done exactly that for you in Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus has left the incomparable riches of heaven, and for our sakes, he became poor. He lived the life that you and I could not live, and he died the death that you and I should have died. Even though he had no sin in him, he died for sinners just like you and just like me, and he paid the price for our sin against a holy God, through his death on the cross, Jesus entered into a poverty far deeper than any of us will ever know. And yet because of his resurrection, and now by faith in him, we inherit the treasures of heaven and the riches of eternal life. Listen, with man, that is impossible. It is impossible for you to go from death to life because of what you can do. It is impossible for you to go from darkness to light because of what you can do. It is impossible for us to think that if we die to ourselves, that we then live truly in Jesus Christ. With man, that is impossible. But with God, God can do anything. He can do anything. Now here's the thing. I'm almost 100% certain that all of us across this room are human. And because we're all human, here's the thing we all have a camel pusher that lives deep down inside of us. We all have it. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is we've all got this thing deep down inside of us that we keep coming back to. And maybe we've got a couple things deep down inside of us that we keep coming back to that we keep trying to push through that eye of the needle to get some kind of favor with God. And we keep pushing that camel and pushing that camel and pushing that camel, trying to get our favor with God. The question is, what's your camel? Like for some of you sitting here right now, it is your money and possessions. And you're using that in some form to try and earn some kind of favor with God. For some, it's doing good things. It's, it's making people think a certain way about you. It's your comfort, it's your safety, it's your security. For some of you, it's coming to church. Like you're sitting here right now because you think in your heart of hearts this is gonna make you good with God in some way. For some of you, it's putting money in the offering bag. For others, it's being the perfect mom. It's being the coolest dad. It's being the hardest worker. It's being the smartest student. And the list just goes on and on and on for infinity. Listen, it's time to kill the camel, okay? Because the danger here is that we get so obsessed with pushing the camel and pushing the camel and pushing the camel through the eye of that needle. And in the process, we totally miss the impossibility of what God has done for us. Jesus wants you to totally trust in him. One last way to do that, number four, I know I'm totally trusting Jesus when I'm realizing that the pleasures of earthly life pale in comparison to the treasures of eternal life. Verse 28, and Peter said, see we have left our homes and followed you. Matthew 19 tells this same story as well. Peter says to Jesus, "Um, what then shall we have? So, after all this has gone down, Peter looks at Jesus and he's like, Hey, Jesus, just wait a second. Like, we've done everything that the rich guy didn't do, so what do we get? Like, what's in it for us? Jesus says, verse 29, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Here's the point even when you leave all of your earthly possessions and relationships behind for the sake of the kingdom of God, that loss, look up here, that, that loss will pale in comparison to all that you find in Jesus, both in this life, but also still in the life to come. And that is the whole point. Jesus is worth it all. When you totally trust in him, God will supply abundantly for everyone who gives away their life for the priorities of the kingdom. This, friends, this right here is true treasure. It's the kingdom of God. It's following Christ. It's trusting in him totally for everything that we need.